there's a saying I'm sure you've heard before, preaching to the choir. It's when you say something to someone who already agrees with the thing you're saying to them. Of all the Ten Commandments, it seems like we would be hard-pressed to find any choir who disagrees with the sixth. This is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You shall not murder. Now, at first glance, the sixth commandment might seem like the most straightforward. I can't imagine anyone who would disagree with it. It's only four words in English. You shall not murder. In Hebrew, it's even simpler. Only two words. The word for murder and a word that negates. It's quite literally not murder. But of course, the more you think about this commandment, the more questions arise. What exactly does it mean to murder? How, if at all, is that different from killing? Is it always wrong for one person to take the life of another? And why is murder wrong? Although there is near universal agreement that we should not murder, there is also widespread disagreement over the specifics of those questions. It might be helpful as a starting point for us to define the Hebrew word translated here as murder. It's a word that only occurs a handful of places in the Old Testament. There's another word often translated as kill that shows up hundreds of times, but this word translated murder is used much less frequently. And here's a simple way of defining this word. To murder is to take innocent human life. Now, each of those words is important. Murder is the taking of innocent human life. If, if you think humans should not kill animals or bugs, that's fine. But it's simply not what the Sixth Commandment prohibits. It also does not necessarily forbid one human taking the life of another. It prohibits the taking of innocent human life. So I, I find it helpful to ask two fundamental questions. First, what does this commandment not prohibit? And second, what does it prohibit? We'll start first with, what does the Sixth Commandment not prohibit? For one thing, it does not outlaw self-defense. Exodus 22 verse 2 says, If a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. In other words, if someone is breaking into your home in the middle of the night and you take their life in order to defend your own life or the life of others in your home, there is no guilt. The next verse does add, however, but if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. There is a difference, in other words, between acting in self-defense in the cover of darkness versus acting in needless violence during the daylight. If someone breaks into your home at night, that does not give you the right to go and take vengeance when the sun has risen. And if someone is breaking into your home during broad daylight, you may have other options at your disposal besides killing him. All things considered, if you're able... Your first recourse should be to hand someone over to authorities, not to take their life and claim self-defense. So even when we say that the Sixth Commandment does not necessarily prohibit self-defense, there is still a strong sense that human life is not something we should take lightly. What else does the Sixth Commandment not prohibit? Well, it does not necessarily forbid capital punishment. Genesis 9 verse 6 says, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his own image. What makes murder so heinous is not only the obvious taking of another person's life, it's also that murder is an attack against the image of God in another person. The Bible does not treat capital punishment for murder necessarily 
as an assault against the image of God, but as a defense of it. Paul makes a similar point in Romans 13, verse 4, where he describes governing authorities as the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. God will ultimately dole out perfect justice on the last day. But he also ordains human governments to exact justice immediately by bearing the sword, by holding the power of life and death under his authority. So personal vengeance is clearly forbidden, but institutional vengeance is not necessarily forbidden. Paul says in Romans 12, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In other words, it would be wrong for an individual to go and take the life of a murderer. But it is not necessarily wrong for a governing authority to do the same thing. Because God says that vengeance belongs to him. And that rather than taking matters into our own hands, we are to leave it to the wrath of God. One of the ways God exercises His wrath, however, is through governing authorities. Now we need to admit, this point is particularly tricky. Because while God never miscarries justice, we know from history and experience that humans often do. Justice systems created by flawed humans are themselves flawed and capable of error. And the standard for capital punishment should be extremely high. Those in charge of carrying out such justice will be responsible to God for their actions. And we live in a society in which, even if we're not a judge or a legislator, we have a say in the way our government wields the sword of justice. So we as citizens bear responsibility to advocate for impartiality and uprightness. Christians can certainly disagree over the specific applications of the Sixth Commandment to capital punishment. Some may feel that it is okay so long as justice is truly pursued impartially. Others may wonder whether it's possible in many cases to attain the kind of certainty needed to take such an extreme measure. Then, of course, there's the question of how exactly it will be carried out lethal injection or some other method. These are not questions we have time for today, nor are they questions for which the Bible gives a definitive answer. There is wisdom in not saying more than God has said in His Word, but these are questions with which we need to grapple if we're going to take the Sixth Commandment seriously. There's one other thing the Sixth Commandment does not necessarily prohibit, and that is war. Of course, Some Christians have been pacifists on the basis of this command, but once again, there is room for disagreement. One thing we can say is that there are instances in the New Testament of soldiers trusting in Christ, but no instance of them being told to resign their post in order to follow Him. More importantly, Paul's point in Romans 13 about governments bearing the sword of justice and carrying out God's wrath on wrongdoers applies just as much to war as it does to capital punishment. History is certainly filled with examples of wars being fought to liberate oppressed peoples and to protect freedom from those who would otherwise strip it away. It's also true, however, that God will hold humans accountable for the wars in which they engage. 
Just because the Sixth Commandment does not necessarily prohibit war does not mean that all wars are just or that every soldier fights justly. Our society rightly has an understanding that it is possible for crimes to be committed in the course of an otherwise sanctioned war. There should be no such thing as a blank check for unrestrained violence. As citizens, we can and should debate the morality of various wars and of methods of war. We certainly should never desire it. But the command, you shall not murder, does not inherently prohibit all forms of war. Okay, now that we've considered what the Sixth Commandment does not prohibit, let's ask, what does this command prohibit? When God tells us not to murder, what exactly is He telling us not to do? I defined murder earlier as the taking of innocent human life. That's a simplified way of putting it, but now we need to expand that definition just a bit. It can be helpful if we use some categories that we're familiar with. For example, obviously the Sixth Commandment prohibits intentional, premeditated murder. But it also prohibits what we would call voluntary manslaughter, murder that is intentional but not premeditated. Say you you fly into a fit of rage and kill someone. You didn't plan on doing that, but it happened in the moment. That is murder, and the Sixth Commandment prohibits it. It also forbids more than that. The Sixth Commandment also prohibits what we would call involuntary manslaughter or reckless homicide. This is murder that is neither intentional nor premeditated. Say a person drives drunk and kills someone, or or say they're texting while driving and they kill someone. Those things are included when God says, you shall not murder. Even though there was no plan or intention to take innocent human life, it happened through recklessness. You can actually find a biblical example of this in Exodus 21 says, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman, if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Now, to be clear, in the context, the phrase, if there is harm, refers either to the pregnant woman herself or to her child. If, someone, if someone's recklessness causes the death of an innocent bystander, that is a violation of the command not to murder. Not only that, the Sixth Commandment also prohibits what we would call negligent homicide. Listen to Exodus 21, verses 28 and 29. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or a woman— The ox shall be stoned, and its owner shall also be put to death. Now, one of the benefits of not owning any oxen is not having to worry that one may gore my neighbor. But even if we don't own livestock, we can understand the analogy, right? If your ox gores someone, but you had no idea it would be violent, and you took all the necessary precautions, you're not necessarily liable. But if you have an ox that you know has a history of violence— and you don't take appropriate steps to protect the lives of others, you are liable. There are other examples in the Old Testament as well. If you go with your neighbor into the forest to cut wood, but you don't tighten the head on your axe and it slips off and strikes your neighbor and kills him, that is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. If you build a home 
but don't put a, a parapet or a safety wall on your roof and someone falls. That is a violation of the Sixth Commandment. So while it seems cut and dry at first glance, you shall not murder, it turns out that the Sixth Commandment includes a whole lot more than simply intentional premeditated murder. This command is about avoiding anything that could possibly lead to the loss of innocent human life. And it's also about positively doing things that will protect the life of our neighbor. It's why we have laws today that require fences around swimming pools. It's why we have standards that buildings must meet in order to be occupied safely. It's why we have labor laws and so forth. To break the sixth commandment is to do anything or fail to do something that could potentially result in the loss of innocent human life, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And because of the broadness of that command, it does not only forbid outcomes that result in death, it also forbids anything that might potentially lead to one of those outcomes. It requires us to take active steps to avoid the loss of life. For example, it's theoretically possible for someone to drive drunk or text while driving and their recklessness not result in someone else's death. It's theoretically possible for two men to get into a brawl near a pregnant woman and not strike her accidentally so that there's harm to her or her child. It's theoretically possible for a builder to do shoddy work and yet no one suffer injury because of it. It's theoretically possible to fire a gun into an occupied building and not kill anyone. But because those things could potentially result in the loss of life, they are included in the prohibition against murder. And the Sixth Commandment does not only forbid actions or inactions that could have fatal outcomes, it also requires us to pursue the health and safety of our neighbor. In the late 1600s, Baptist pastor Benjamin Keach wrote a catechism in which he asks, What is required in the Sixth Commandment? Answer, the Sixth Commandment requires all lawful endeavors to preserve our own life and the life of others. What is forbidden in the Sixth Commandment? Answer, the Sixth Commandment forbids the taking away of our own life or the life of our neighbor unjustly or whatsoever tends thereto. All of this comes back to the fundamental truth that God is the one who gives life. He is the one who made us in His image and He is the only one with authority over the life He has given to us and to those around us. So we should be very careful to honor His authority by honoring life, not only by avoiding what might bring harm, but also by positively protecting life and by promoting the health and well-being of ourselves and of our neighbor. Of course, one of the age-old questions is, who is my neighbor? That's the question the lawyer asked Jesus in Luke 10. Jesus responded by telling him the parable of the Good Samaritan. And while the lawyer had asked, who is my neighbor, Jesus turned the question around on him. After finishing the parable, Jesus asked the man, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? So the question is not, who is my neighbor? The question is, am I being a neighbor? And when Jesus asked the, the lawyer that question, which of these proved to be a neighbor, the lawyer answered, the one who showed him mercy. If we only show mercy and pursue the well-being of those neighbors who are most like us, then we are not obeying the sixth commandment. 
We must take special care to honor and value and protect the lives of those whom society has not traditionally valued and protected. It means that we must pursue the good of the unborn child, the disabled person, the elderly person, the poor and homeless person, the immigrant, the minority, the orphan, and the widow. It means that we must go out of our way to love even those who are least like us, even those we might otherwise categorize as our enemies. Here are some questions that we could ask ourselves. First, am I doing anything knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, that might bring harm to another image bearer of God? Second, am I knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, participating in systems that benefit me at the expense of others? And third, am I taking steps to protect the lives of others? Am I willing to inconvenience myself if it means promoting the life and health of someone more vulnerable than me? Each of us must examine ourselves, our actions, our words, our attitudes, and our hearts. And that brings me to the final takeaway for us. Obeying the Sixth Commandment does not start with what we do or don't do. It starts in our minds and our hearts with what we think and feel and how those thoughts and feelings express themselves in our intentions and words and actions. Jesus says in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, You fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. It should not be a surprise that whenever humans want to justify murder, they inevitably dehumanize the people they're murdering. If murder is the taking of innocent human life, then in order to justify ourselves, we have to deny the other person's humanity or innocence. It's what the Nazis did to their many victims. It's what Americans did to black people, literally treating them as only three-fifths of a person. It's what many people still do to unborn babies, treating them as blobs of tissue instead of human persons worthy of protection and life. The point is this, what we think about someone matters a great deal. Obeying the Sixth Commandment is not simply about avoiding the literal act of murder, nor is it only about working to promote and protect life. It's also about putting away any thoughts and words of anger and hatred toward another person. Even if we never literally take the life of another person, we should be careful that we value their life, not only with our actions, but with our thoughts and feelings and intentions. I hope that each of us will pray as David did in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We need to search our hearts and we need to pray that God would search our hearts. He knows our thoughts. Our hearts may deceive us, but they cannot deceive Him. He sees us more clearly than we see ourselves, and it can feel scary to realize how exposed and vulnerable you are before the Lord. The good news is that the same God who gives physical, 
temporal life also offers eternal life to those who will trust in him. In fact, he sent his son Jesus to lay down his life and take it up again in order that we might have life in his name. We do not earn that life through our obedience to this or any other commandment. It is something we must receive as a gift. Have you received the gift of eternal life? If not, will you receive it today? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Henderson Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit us on Facebook or check out our website, hendersonbaptist.org.